Bandwagon Nerds is taped in front of a live studio audience. Again, fellow basement dwellers, this is your good friend Patrick O'Dowd welcoming you into a new edition of Bandwagon Nerds, the first edition of Bandwagon Nerds here in 2022. We are here with a limited bandwagon today. We are joined by my good friend, the lawyer, David Ungar. David, how are you? Good. Uh, trying to solve my son's computer problems as we speak. But yeah, I'm doing pretty well, man. Sounds like the perfect thing to be doing during this very important podcast. We are, of course, also joined by the live studio audience, PC Tunney. How are you today, sir? Are your Packers up by Have your Packers played yet? I don't even know what time the game is. They play tonight. I hate the Sunday night game more than any of the other games. Um, but that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. I'm more intent on my guys in the fantasy football championship this week. So there you go. Oh, and there well, goes Cooper so. Cup for a touchdown. My little Cooper Cup. Kabuya on, on Kuya. That's what you can look for. We are going to be short the Reverend Ray Cash today. He is attending to some family matters this week. We have quite a fun little show today. We are going to continue the Marvel DC Decathlon. We are into week four and round four is going to be uh, our television and streaming uh, footprint as well as teams, better teams. And when we last left, Marvel was, is up 18 to 12. So we'll be having some fun with that. We're going to do a quick visit to the trailer park today. Cause a couple of trailers for movies we've already seen trailers for, we got some new ones. Uh, that hit, but I think are worth a conversation. I got some questions for Dave, actually, about one of the trailers. Uh, I'm hoping you can help. Dogs are here as well. You can hear them in the background. They're excited. We're also going to do a brief talk about the first episode of The Book of Boba Fett as that dropped over the week prior to the new year, episode one, landing on Disney+. Plus. And so I thought it'd be worth getting some thoughts before Dave and I write our nerd review this week. So, yeah, before we get into that, though, how was how was the New Year? Uh, we'll start with Tony. How how was your New Year's Eve and New Year's Day celebrations? Were there were there libations consumed? Did you have a good time? What did you I do? I worked. I worked. You worked. Yeah, I worked. So last night I stayed home because I was going to actually go out January first. Like I. Right. I worked late. I worked late on the eve, and I worked early on the day. 
it was all part of a plan why I was off around Christmas a lot. So it worked out. Um, but I was going to go out on the first, but we got a little bit of a uh, bad weather last night, snowstorm. So uh-huh. I had to shovel this morning. But the nice thing was, is I stayed home and I had some whiskey and I got to watch day one. And I thought it was an excellent pay-per-view. I believe I even rated it 8.75 out of 10. Yeah, you uh, you explained to me your whole it was a good shoe thing in the in the message in the shoe. room. Really good shoe. Because I, honest to God, had you not explained to me the W and the E on a keyboard on both texting and a computer keyboard are right next to each other, so easy to call it a typo. Just just put it out there. Yeah, it's uh something I I started doing and Platt picked up on, and I think Dave is aware of that as well, right, Dave? Dave was alive when Ed Sullivan was still alive, so Probably. I'm sure he still watch it. I think no, so. but he was, you were aware that, that we called it a shoe, right, Dave? Yeah, the big shoe. Yes. Yes. So, and Dave, I know I already asked you this. because It goes on the big foot. Podcast. We, we've already recorded one podcast today, but how was your New Year, my friend? Your New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. It was, uh, it was pretty calm. Uh, you know, as, as I think I mentioned earlier on chair shot radio or well, tomorrow on chair shot radio, but in our, our mind, in Mar, in our minds, it's reversed, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was quiet. The older you get the, you know, the, the less allure there is to just, you know, partying down and, and dealing with alcohol checkpoints. And, and yesterday was fun. Watch some football played, uh, we, we uh, played a board game called Eldritch horror and lost again. You know, we never win these cooperative games, but it was fun anyway. Did you guys did you guys uh, have anything special to eat? I at least did that. Yes. Uh, you know, we not really so much. I mean, uh, we just we had uh, my my wife's our niece and nephew, her niece and nephew came by and then we they just they picked up McDonald's on the way. And it was it was pretty low key. We didn't do anything major like thank Christmas was when we broke out. You know, I did prime rib. I did tri- tri-tip. I did the. Uh, prosciutto wrapped chicken for the family on tr- on Christmas. So yeah, I didn't I didn't see the point in doing it again <laughs> for New Year's Eve. So in the O'Dowd household, uh, you have to have corned beef and cabbage on January first, uh, as it is a family belief tradition. Whatever you want, that that is good luck for the year. And you can even I even forced one Greg DeMarco back in the day when we were working together at UConn and his family to consume some corned beef and cabbage the the one new year's day that we were all together because that is that is a rule we must consu- consume it's the corned beef more than the cabbage but if i didn't my great aunt grace would be rolling over in her grave and cursing us from the great beyond as that is what it's just what we do so i we did corned beef and cabbage for dinner yesterday along with some sparkling cider so the little dad could feel like he had some champagne for the new year and New Year's Eve, we we stayed up and watched the ball drop, and my nine-year-old son was like, so that was it? Okay, okay I'm ready to go to bed now. So he's already a 50-year-old man. <laughs> yeah, I got to apologize for any background noise. I don't know. It sounds like a fucking lumberjack is doing something outside, which is rare because, like, what the hell are you guys cutting down? But, yeah, there's a chainsaw going on. It's okay. Tony, what about you, man? Do you have, do you have like a traditional like New Year's Day I, dinner? I don't have a traditional New Year's Day dinner. Um, my brother-in-law does do um, burnt ends, does the tips, um, smoke some good for Christmas Eve. Usually Christmas Day we have um, 
raw beef and onions. Do you ever have raw beef and onion sandwiches? No. I All can't right, well, say that I have. I, I just we we do um so Christmas Eve it's uh homemade pizza is the Christmas Eve dinner. Okay. We do that every year. And then Christmas morning it's waffles from scratch with uh strawberries and whipped cream and syrup and anything else you can think to put into your belly after okay. open gifts. So oh, yeah, we're that, all uh, the traditional foods. Yeah. Well then for New Year's Eve this year I had some uh, fresh perch from Lake Michigan, so I fried those up. So that was excellent. And then uh, New Year's Day for the uh, pay per view, just some uh, wings with some homemade uh, spicy habanero barbecue sauce. Oh, very nice, very nice. I'm impressed. So I hope everybody out there in the Chair Shot universe had a lovely New Year's wherever or however you choose to um, to celebrate it. Dave, you let you let off with the disclaimer. I'm going to lead off with the disclaimer too. I'm a little under the weather today. So bear with me if I get a little raspy or if I have to go mute for a little while to to cough it out a little bit. Don't think I have the COVID. Think that I've got a little sinus cold deal going on, but just full disclosure as we head into this and um, get ready to roll today. Uh, With Ray not being here, I I just want to do this once uh, in honor of, of Mr. Ray Cash and his absence. So real quickly. We miss you, Ray. And this is the audience actually booing that you didn't make it to the show. That's that, that they're sad that you're not here. Um, much love for you out there, though. We we uh, we understand what's happening. What we are going to do, though, is what we have uh, been doing for the last couple episodes, and that is covering The Witcher, and and start by tossing a coin his way. Toss a coin to your Witcher, oh Valley of Plenty, oh Valley of Plenty, oh. Toss a coin to your Witcher, oh Valley. Plenty. So I'm going to continue to say this, I think, throughout our coverage of, of this series. This is the first show where we've done a Netflix show where, like, I have to stop my, myself from binging. Uh, every time, like, I really am all in on on this season so far. And... You know, it's just it's been really well put together. We had we had basically two storylines. I mean, there were three, but there were really two sort of simultaneous threads as we continue to follow Siri and Geralt and Siri's training. As Siri is impatient to to learn to become a warrior, and Geralt is trying to keep reining her in. Uh, and what I found really interesting about this episode was Siri's gaining the respect from the other witchers in the keep because as she grows frustrated with Geralt trying to slow down her training, a couple of the other witchers who she had like a little bit of a verbal repertoire, um, uh, I, not repertoire, some other fancy word that I can't remember right now. She, uh, she has a little back and forth and rapport. Now rapport is like a relationship, like a good relationship. I, yeah, I like, wasn't sure where you were going. Like, <laughs> or something like that. It's like the fencing maneuver. Um, he tells a joke. She uh, she tells she uh, drops a punchline on a different joke that kind of gets the best of him. And this guy wants to teach her a lesson, and so 
he's like, you want to be a witcher and puts her in this obstacle course, I think in an effort to kind of bully her and take her out. But by the end of the episode, not like take her out, like kill her, but like just try to dissuade her from what she thinks she wants to do. But by the end of the episode, she's gotten the respect of the other witchers as she tries to navigate this obstacle course throughout and, and, the other, you know, Geralt watches watches her stoically as she tries to make a run at this course while she's literally being cheered on. And yeah, and she almost completes it, and Geralt just kind of stares her down and was like, "Almost did it." Uh, so we had we had that story, and, and we learned a little bit more about Ciri's power and that her she has a connection to these creatures out there, and that she actually feels a pull um and to to these she's drawn to these creatures and Geralt basically uses her as a radar to the creature that killed uh their their comrade in arms in the previous episode uh leads to a, a nice little battle dave looks froze dave are you froze on on the skype no nope. blink maybe oh uh, your camera's frozen. Me... your camera's frozen. that's what it is um it's all right i'll fix we'll that. work yeah um the other storyline we 2022. I know, right? First Betty the White, other... now this. God. Oh yeah, we're gonna talk about Betty later on in the show. We can't not. Are talk we about okay? It. Okay, I got a horrible thing to say about it. Oh Jesus! Um, Jesus, Jesus has nothing to do with it. Fair enough. Um, the other, the other sort of parallel story. We we continue to get um, a look at Jennifer and. And her her storyline is she returns to her uh, her the witches and warlock whatever you want to call the wizards the mages Eratusa yes that place um, after being gone for a month there is suspicions from a, a guy I think his name is, is Stregobor is that the guy sure yeah he's got no hands he has like no hands and he like or does he, he? well. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Um, but he he immediately is the one that is like doubtful that Yennefer was really a prisoner of war, thinks he might she might have converted and joined Nilfgaard and, and those spies, and really tries to force like through his um through his machinations and, and kind of puts uh Tessiah on on the spot and forces tries to force Yennefer to prove her loyalty by having her ex- execute Kahir. Uh, Yennefer is still hearing voices from that strange entity that, that they encountered. Yennefer ultimately frees Kahir and they ride off and are now on the run uh, at the end of the episode. And so uh, that that story takes a uh, direction. And then finally, Frangilla uh, is back uh, in uh, Nilfgaard with uh, the Queen of the Elves, where they basically have a couple of conversations about, can I trust you? Can I not trust you? Let's form an alliance. Uh, and basically on the promise that the elves will be able to find a place to populate if they aid Nilfgaard in, in their invasion. So that's that's the summary of the three storylines Dave, I'll turn it to you first. Your reactions to episode three of The Witcher and and your thoughts and what we learned. I tend to be like I, you, that it's it's kind of hard just to stop at an episode, especially when I, everybody else in my house has seen the entire season. 
Well, actually, it's just my wife in the house, but my niece and nephew, they watch a lot of this stuff with us and uh, they've all seen it and they're like, oh, the, the, the shit hasn't even begun to hit the fan yet. So that that little dangling out there, may, it, it doesn't help the whole thing about, yeah, let's get forward. But uh, yeah, I, this was a great episode because, you know, you see Siri becoming more of a badass and just the level of determination that she has to she takes a beating from this obstacle course. I mean, a real ass whooping. Um, but then, you know, like you're saying, you, you notice how Geralt kind of watches her and is like, okay, yeah. And then, and then he, he goes to her because he's trying to solve this issue of apparently, you know, Eskel's Leshy that infected him is got him and Vesemir stumped as to what went wrong and it shouldn't have gone that way. So they're looking, they're looking for answers while they're mourning at the same time. And, they end up going and they find the Leshy and then it gets destroyed by something much worse. You know, like uh, it's funny, like this was the week of these uh, kind of uh, minotaurish looking creatures here in Book of Boba Fett had the same sort of thing going on. And yeah. And so you get this big show. Yeah, exactly. You know, lots of legs, lots of appendages and you get this great showdown and and Geralt and Siri, you know, and and Siri kind of realizes during that confrontation that, um, She's clearly not infallible yet and has a lot of work to do. And luckily, Geralt saves her. Then, yeah, you've got the Yennefer situation, which is fascinating, which because uh, she's she's faced with the choice of either beheading this guy or coming clean to the witches and wizards and sorcerers or whatever the hell they are that she doesn't have powers anymore. And she opts not to do that, but instead to spare this guy for some reason. And and in this ever this search to get her powers back, and yeah, Kahir's like doesn't know what the hell's going on. Uh, so it's it's a fascinating story that's going on, and and you've got you know you got Yennefer, she's going to do what she has to do to get her power back. You've got Nilfgaard kind of regrouping after getting incinerated at Sodden, and then you've got Geralt and Ciri and their relationship continuing to broaden and and yeah that that whole thing like i've been told that we haven't we, we really don't know what is going on what what is underneath all this we know that something is mutated something and obviously we're about to find out what's really going on but yeah it's it's a tremendous series so far and and i like this season better it flows better and i know it has a lot to do with we're not jumping around in time but it just seems a little bit more focused than season one was. Right. And, and that, that has made it much a little, well, I don't know about much, but easier to digest and kind of like get your own focus situated on, okay, here's where this is going and here's my attention has to be. So yeah, it's fantastic so far. So Tony, I, I, I'm assuming if you follow your usual pattern of viewing, you watched the episode this morning. Um, I watched it yesterday before, um, wow day one wow yeah so here's what's interesting i've actually adopted your school of of showing it in the morning so it stays fresh so that it's fresh in my mind when i come in what were your thoughts uh of this episode what did you what did you take away what did you like what do you don't like uh i just the whole the whole outer battle like i just i just want them to focus on the character like last season was so much of a tighter small world storyline and this world right. this year is such a grandiose kind of um end game and goal kind of thing if you will and and i'm just not i'm not in love with that i'm still in love with the characters um 
boy, the bath scene was amazing in the cave there, wherever. That was just great. I was like, oh, I thought we were going to get, you know, Cinemax esque for a little bit, but they kind of yeah, held back. But nonetheless, it was nice. Yeah. That dress on Yennefer, just the the good, great, great for titty tape. I mean, I'm sure that's what the women, I'm sure that's what the girls call it because they're worse than us, right? I mean, they they had that so that dress line was just like right above the start of the areola. I mean, it was beautiful. <laughs> there was a lot of tease in that. It was so funny because uh, the little O'Dowd has been in the room while we while, while I've been watching these episodes, and it's season one was way more risque, right? Like there was just way more, and we're only three episodes in. Who knows? Like. We, you know, there was the gratuitous sort of sexuality bit in the middle of episode two, but it just never seemed to, to me, it just never seemed to hit like season one. And now, and this, this, uh, that particular scene that you're describing, Tony, it was, it was all about pushing that envelope kind of like as far as they could go without really getting completely gratuitous with it. It was like, we're gonna, we're gonna titillate you, but we're not gonna, we're not gonna, we're not gonna go full go full nudie um if you will and so i'm really interested to see how and when Jennifer gets her powers back you know and i think that uh one of the things that i wanted to pull away from what you just said there tony is the backdrop of the greater war is is less interesting to me right now than the relationship between siri and geralt and Jennifer and her kind of crisis of who am i if i don't have magic and those those two stories are really kind of what's driving me uh, and, and has my attention has really has really compelled me to to, to stay with it, because um, if it was just about this great war, then, yeah, I think it would be less interesting. Like I, I'm right there with you. Yeah, I agree. The, the war is the least interesting part of all this. Like, ah, who gives a shit? You know, I, I'm more interested. Yeah, I, I'm like you. It's like because Jennifer even says it to, to say it, it's like. If I don't have my powers, I'm nothing. And Tasea tries to kind of talk her out of that, but she's obviously clearly not buying that. Uh, I thought one of the scenes that, you know, worth mentioning is Stregobor trying to uh, basically mind fuck Jennifer to to kind of find out what's going on with her. And, and you know, in Jennifer. Yeah. Jennifer, where he's that's what I said, isn't it? No, you you definitely called her Jennifer. Did I? Okay, sorry. You definitely went Jennifer there, sir. <laughs> but it's easy. Yes. You just just remember, yummy Jennifer. Okay, got it. Thank you, Tony. That'll that'll stick yummy. in my head now. But uh, yep. yeah, that okay. scene where he's trying to do to her what to say was doing to um to uh Kahir, uh, that was very interesting. And then to say getting involved and just basically bitching him down magically. So. That was an interesting scene, and 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 the mistrust of Yennefer that's going on is going to drive a lot of the action, I think, moving forward. Well, and there was a nice after that moment happened where Yennefer is having this confrontation over the decree that she to prove her loyalty she has to execute Kahir, and she's having this conversation with Tasaya, and Tasaya's like you could just come clean that you're no threat because you have no magic. And that that is like dev- the idea, the very idea of being, uh, having to come forward and say, I'm powerless is too much for her. And, and that's, you know, ultimately right now is Jennifer's real flaws is, is coming to terms with like her own self-worth 
and and not seeing it. And so because she doesn't see herself as because she sees herself as worthless without magic, she's going to make a bad deal. Right. She's going to make a deal with the devil. It's kind of the way the way I see this going. And it's probably going to have repercussions. Yeah, she's been known to make a few bad decisions in the past, so we'll see. Well, in most shows, characters do make bad decisions. Uh, so next week, we will have Unifer on the run. I, I do presume that at some point, we're going to have to really leap forward with Siri and Geralt and, and hiding out in the keep. Like, that's just got to take a step forward. Like, I feel like we're sort of still baby-stepping. We're about to hit the halfway point of the season next week, and I just, you know, <laughs> yeah, what's... What is- that one scene where Geralt, what about Bob? there's that hole in the wall and Geralt pulls like all those vines out. That's how he, that's how he figures out the, the connection between her and what was that creature called? Oh, I don't, yeah, the Leshy. The Leshy. Leshy like was trying to pull her to it. Yeah. Well, the I think that was the best part of the episode, though, was when the, the, the tree viney thing and then the mantis thing comes up behind it and just slashes it right down. I mean, just and then that then that gets eaten, and then, you know, it was just, it was some solid action, though. Right. To to quote Liam Neeson in The Phantom Menace, there's always a bigger fish, or in this case, creature. And yeah. uh, one of the few good lines in The Phantom Menace. So, Tony's favorite Star Wars movie. It is Tony's favorite Star Wars movie. <laughs> no, no response for those of you who can't see what david and i could see as tutty's mouth widened for uh, a response and then silenced it is it is it is it is sometimes and you just take a sometimes you take a little bit of medicine instead of a lot all right well we will continue this conversation next week as we go into the halfway point of season two of the witcher who knows maybe Reverend Ray Cash will be caught up and watched by then as well. We're going to take our first commercial break. When we come back, we're going to pay a quick visit to the trailer park and then talk a little book of Boba Fett. You are listening to Bandwagon Nerds here on the ChairShot Radio Network, a part of thechairshot.com. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv. Go to powerslam.tv, promo code ChairShot. Get your free month. Again, that's powerslam.tv, promo code ChairShot. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. All right. Well, welcome back, everyone, to what is quickly going to be a swiftly moving edition of Bandwagon Nerds, it looks like, as we're going to make our way over to the trailer park. But before we do that, I need Dave to cue us up some music and play us in. (laughs) 
right, sir. Thank you for that. That sweet, sweet banjo music gets my heart a pumping with joy every single time. We had two trailers drop for one's first show that is about to hit HBO Max in a couple of weeks in Peacemaker. And then we got a new trailer for the Batman this past week uh, called titled The Cat and the Bat. And normally we don't go back to the trailer park and talk more. I, that's not true. We've talked about new trailers that are dropped all the time. I I had to talk about both of these because one, so I showed Mrs. O'Dowd the Peacemaker trailer that we watched. And she looked, me, she looked at me and she was like, wait a second. You mean to tell me DC made a show that looks good? Oh, wow. wow. And I was like, she was like, because that trailer looks really, makes this look, that show look really good. And I was like, you should check out Doom Patrol. Uh, I, you know, as, as I try to get her on board with Doom Patrol. I, here's why I loved this trailer so much. This was straight up comedy all the way through. Like from John Cena as Peacemaker sitting down in front of a class of what appeared to be like third to fourth grade children describing how he took down evil and then uh, Wonder Woman, I effing him and parents being like, dude, he's like, I said effing uh, to him not understanding that, what was it Sweet Cheeks? He didn't know what Sweet Cheeks meant. He thought it meant Sweet Cheeks and Sugar Tits. saw the face and then they, they were like, well, that's like calling someone Sugar can Tits. I, like, well, can I even have Sugar Tits. Before we move on from that, I, I was watching the that. Uh, so I shoveled the driveway this morning um, as I crack a beer right now. I shoveled the driveway this morning and then I went out for breakfast to a local diner right down the road. And right when I sat down, I'm waiting. I got my coffee, put my order in, waiting for my food. Couldn't quite see the TV from where I sat. Grabbed my phone. I'm like, oh, I have to watch the two trailers. I'm watching the um, John Cena uh what's his fucking character's name why can't i think of it right a peacemaker peacemaker trailer and i'm literally laughing out loud and they're like what are you laughing at and i'm like sugar tits <laughs> who was who they who, who the uh the waitress and one of the other oh, people that i know from the uh from the diner because i go there a couple times a week usually hey, you're a regular i got you nice that's uh yeah that was out like to me that was outstanding the eagle um uh, Yes. Poking the dude in the ass. He's like, why is he attacking my asshole? Like, there was just so much to this trailer. And um, probably put me over the edge on uh, must watch this day of release uh, as the as these episodes hit. Dave, your thoughts on this latest addition to to the Peacemaker uh, hype train? James oh. Gunn is a genius, by the yeah, way. James Gunn is a genius. This is, this is going to be a must watch series. Uh, it's going to be very you know it's going to have a lot of comedic elements like doom patrol but but even more over the top i mean i like how you know peacemaker sit there just watching his colleague get tortured and he's like i'm not going to tell him anything you know <laughs> it just, he's like, could you just tell him a little thing yeah just just doesn't doesn't get it yeah the, the comment about wonder woman if and him was uh was just genius and it looks like you know, I, I like the other stuff like where he's shooting people and the girl comes up behind him and shoots him. He's like, you don't have to shoot him after I've already killed them. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. So so a lot of comedic elements. It, it definitely has James Gunn's fingerprints written all over it. Everything that you look at it and do it. And it, it looks like, you know, his progression from trying to 
from where he was in Suicide Squad to being a, a quasi anti heroish character is going to be really fun. So here's the question that came out of this because it seemed to imply for all that comedic stuff, there's a moment in that trailer where Robert Patrick is like sitting in front of people, a bunch of people, or at least it appears he's sitting in front of a bunch of people who are like on their knees, like worshiping him. What's up with that? Is he the big bad? Like, I don't know enough about Peacemaker to to know where we're going here, but it, it seemed like it, it just seemed like a very intentional snippet to throw into a trailer for it to not, you know, for it to not be intentional. Yeah, I don't think the Peacemaker character in the comics has been fleshed out nearly as much as it is in this show. And and I think that has a lot to do with John Cena and his his talent, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I don't know what's going on. I mean, they it was, like you said, mostly a comedic trailer and a little bit of like, hey, what's that all about element in there? But, yeah, if you were on the fence before, this should have pushed you right over squarely on the side of, I got to watch this. Is this the thing that makes John Cena... A, a legit bigger star like he he gets a he gets a big big movie out of this like where he's the one that draws the money like this puts him not on the rock level but this moves him up a step is this it because i think it could be i think you know yeah, by, mean, by the time by the time the second season comes out of this it, people are like oh you gotta see this and catch up on it and then oh by the way john cena's got this movie coming out where he plays someone completely different than you ever think he would i just feel like this could be it there's a real opportunity here, yeah, especially with him being the lead uh, of this show. Like, this is really for for all the other stuff that's in that trailer. John John Cena carries that trailer, right? Like, and his character, which he should. It's it's his character. It's his show. Right. Uh, but yeah, he looked he looks amazing. Like, he looks like a bona fide star. He looks like a bona fide lead. I think we all know he's a bona fide star, a bona fide lead. Uh, it's just when does he become you know and and do we i don't know let's ask that question do we see him ever hitting a a rock you know dwayne johnson sort of level of action here or do we think that that's not in the cards that's, for uh, that's like okay if you if you kind of pigeon i think you, you, when you're comparing cena and rock in that way i think you can do that it's not apples and oranges right and i would compare it to could Kobe ever be Jordan? Is LeBron e- even better than Jordan? And no, I, I'd say Rock is Jordan-esque in that, even though like there were people before Jordan that were great, like Magic and Bird. There were people before Rock that were great that were, you know, Brett and, and Hulk and, and, you know, as far as big stars and went on to do other things. Maybe not Brett. I mean, um, uh, Roddy Piper and Hulk Hogan. But, right. uh, you know. I just don't think anybody like could do it like the rock. The rock is legit. It's been the number one action star for what a decade guys. Yeah. It's crazy to think that we would have ever imagined him hitting that stratosphere. I mean, I mean legit phys- physically he can do everything that, that Dwayne does. I, I think from an acting standpoint, he's every bit as good as Dwayne is. I, I mean, it's a different, it's a different kind of charisma though. It is right. Right. And, and Dwayne has that more, I don't know, I mean, you know, no, that's tough because then it, we're thinking about it from the standpoint of uh, pro wrestlers and, and different kind of charisma and that sort of thing. But I mean, given the right role, I mean, you did see him in, in, in that sort of element in what was one of the Fast and Furious. I lost track number 22, Fast and Furious 22 or something like that. I don't know which well, one it was. Well, you just, 
he just uh, scolded Vin Diesel and told him he's not coming back, by the oh, way. Oh, Dwayne? Yeah, Dwayne did. But no, I'm saying Cena was in one of them. He was Vin's brother in, in one of these Fast and yes. Furious movies. But, you know, I think one thing about Cena, though, he's taken on, uh, you know, from a comedic standpoint, I think John's got an advantage over Dwayne because you've seen him in more of these comedic roles. Dwayne's been predominantly an action star, but you've seen John in, like, what was it, Trainwreck with, uh, uh, with Amy he's Schumer? Got, he's, got, he's got those movies. Yeah, but the thing about Hart and... Yeah, but The Rock has Saturday Night Live to start his yeah. career in Hollywood, and The Rock is more known as a comedic kind of um, off-the-cuff, make-you-laugh guy, where Cena, you know, he's he's known for that, but it's mainly with The Rock. Otherwise, he's the try-hard, show-up, you know, give-me-what-you-got kind of guy. I still love... You saw Vacation Friends, right, Tony, with, with Cena and... Uh... It's one of the, it's on a stream. Yes. Yeah. I mean that he was great in that. Just this drug. He, he is. He's great. No, guy. I just, can't, I, I'm not saying I don't think in your mind, you couldn't appreciate him as much as the rock. I just think of the global landscape, what the rock has done. The charisma he has like the rock, the rock legitimately in the back of your mind, you could go, you know, he could be president. I wouldn't see John Cena being president, vice president, whatever. Yeah. Who knows? All right. I, yeah, I there think, he is. Uh, Johnson Cena. Yes, do it. Twenty oh, three times, three times in a lifetime, oh. Tony. There you go. Oh God! Oh, All right, uh, let's see. Time the lady. Okay, Buckwheat. Um, up in all the wrong places. Booking up. You asked. You asked for that one. I did. It's one of. It's one of my favorite uh, SNL skits of all time. Oh. Uh, basically, anything with Eddie Murphy is is the bomb. All right, the other trailer that I shared uh, is a new is the newest trailer for the Batman. This one titled "The Cat and the Bat" really focuses in on a little bit of Bruce Wayne and Bruce Wayne's role in this iteration of Gotham City, as well as, of course, Catwoman herself and um, and and Batman and their relationship and and what's going on there. A lot of a lot of Zoe Kravitz. Dave, I said I had a couple questions out of this for you. I, I have to confess something, guys. Uh, I'm not as hyped about this movie as a, as a lot of folks are. And you're shaking your finger, Tony. What's 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 up? Listen, you want to know what I got from this watching this uh, uh, snippet that we had for for the show today? Uh, this this trailer was. There's sure. going to be some people that aren't necessarily in love with DC or, or revere Batman the way that, or aren't Batman apologists. You can still revere Batman and not be a Batman apologist. Right, right. right. And I wasn't thinking of you, but I just thought, I thought even educated people and people that have open mind and everything else like that, but there's so going to be some people that they are going to see this. And I, and I thought they're, they're not going to like what story they're telling here. I don't know. And I don't know if that's why I'm, it just feels very similar to a dark knight. Pretty, like, pretty, pretty sure it is. Can I can I take uh, this? Because I will fall on the sword uh, here if you want me to. Well, hold on a second, because I don't want you guys to misunderstand me. Of course I'm gonna go see the fucking movie. All right. Like I'm gonna go. <laughs> like, like I'm not, and I don't even think it like I don't even think this looks like a particularly bad movie or anything like that. Like I'm not watching this and being like, oh, this movie sucks. I do I do feel other than it's a younger Bruce Wayne um, that there, there's a lot of dark Knight parallels to just the look and the feel of the film. And 
that's really kind of where the the sort of the downplayed excitement is. My question for you, David, and you can absolutely fall on the sword and however you want to sell me on this. If this wants to be your pitch, Patrick, that's fine. Because um, again, you're you're pitching somebody who's going to go see the movie. Uh, this iteration of the Riddler is this an iteration of the Riddler that exists in a comic somewhere with like like the duct tape mask looking thing? Like it's very S and M ish. Uh, for lack of a better way to describe it. it's just not a way that i've seen and paul dano by the way is one of america's great young actors by the like he is phenomenal if you ever want to see how good he could see uh he could be uh check out love and mercy the the um beach boys biopic uh where he plays brian young brian wilson and he's amazing uh so i have no doubts that he's not going to be terrific uh i have no doubt like nobody does anything particularly bad in this in this trailer or in these films or in these snippets that I've seen. And maybe it's my own lack of familiarity in the story that they're telling. But it just it feels very similar to what I've seen before. And so you know, I had the question about where's this Riddler coming from? Is this a different iteration of the Riddler that's in a comic somewhere that I don't know? Because even the even the Catwoman look, like I've seen that look. I've seen that look in comics before. I've seen that that character look. So that actually, no questions there. That's a lot, Dave. Help me out. Um, I don't know if I can recall seeing a version of the Riddler quite like this, which to me feels more like a merging of the Riddler and Joker characters together and portraying it that way because, yeah, he's doing some pretty sadistic stuff to people and and sending out riddle i mean when i think of the riddler you know i'm thinking of from this batman series you know and that was that was that guy you know he was extremely campy and comedic and i just watched that batman 1966 movie and then i think of jim carrey's character which was a bit you know eccentric to say well, the least and that was a terrible and now i'm looking I at like yeah i like jim's portrayal it was all right but yeah i, I don't i don't know pat oh, i haven't i haven't seen i can't recall a, a riddler quite this dark, I do see a lot of what you're saying. There are parallels that are certainly being drawn between, you know, I mean, and, and it's almost like you're saying if you're, we're doing a younger Bruce Wayne and Batman, it's very dark, very dark nightish. And then when you move forward to Michael Keaton and Ben Affleck, it's lighter and a more mature and we can, you know, brighten things up a little bit. I'll tell you what, in, in, by falling on the sword, here's what I mean by that is I'm going to be that guy. And I'm going to say this because my problem with what I'm seeing so far is and this has nothing to do with Robert Pattinson, but his the Bruce Wayne aspect of this trailer, I'm not feeling it yet. And, and I know it's a trailer, and I know that could change, but I'm not exactly feeling his portrayal of Bruce Wayne as this kind of gothic, more, you know, kind of portrayal of Bruce as a younger thing. I, I it, It's not connecting with me yet. Now, that could change. And, and, you know, Andy Serkis's Alfred is a very interesting choice. His portrayal when he dons the suit, though, that I'm totally in on because that looks really cool. There looks like some really cool scenes. He portrays and exudes that Batman persona very well. It's just and it, this is not a knock on Robert. It's just like I don't know if portraying him in this look is going to resonate with people who a lot of us still have Dark Knight in our heads. And think of Christian Bale as Bruce Wayne. It's like, well, that's not the Bruce Wayne I remember. So, I, you know, I what I liked about the trailers, it just it just came out of nowhere, literally. Like, it's like, wait, 
where the hell did this thing come from? And it's the longest trailer we've got so far and the biggest look at the movie. And you do get the relationship between Bruce and Selena Kyle and Batman and Catwoman. So it, it, it it's like a lot of stuff going on, but they don't really tell you a whole lot. They're keeping their cards close to their chest. So that's kind of my thoughts on it. I, I've always struggled with um, the Bruce Wayne slash Batman character and the various actors that have portrayed him. Because when somebody knocks it out of the park, unfortunately, the cop then tends to hurt who follows. And even Michael Keaton, when Michael Keaton, first of all, nobody thought Michael Keaton would work. Then Michael Keaton did work. And people were stunned at like, because then it was uh, was a Val Kilmer followed by Clooney and Clooney, even by Clooney's own admission. He was like, I should have never taken that movie and I was terrible at it. Val Kilmer was fine, quote unquote fine, but not, you know, it just wasn't, it just wasn't kind of what folks had grown accustomed to. I feel like the same thing happened with Christian Bale. Christian Bale and his portrayal has hurt, I think, both Ben Affleck and maybe it hurts Pattinson because it's hard to separate that iconic of a trilogy. And that's, I think that's the real challenge is that Christopher Nolan made a ridiculous trilogy that was really well cast. And it has put a burden on future Batman films that, you know, is it fair? I don't know. Um, is it tough? I, and I don't know. I think that we're seeing a, a moody, brooding Bruce Wayne out of Robert Pattinson. And I actually didn't get a bad vibe out of it so much as um, maybe we just need to see a little bit more of who Bruce Wayne is. Because right now we don't know who Bruce Wayne is. And even the trailer kind of alludes to that. Like he, it opens with him being interviewed and they're like, well, you're not like your dad. Um, You don't do anything for this city. You're just, you're philanthropist crap. And it's, you know, interposed him beating the shit out of criminals. So I don't know. I don't know. It's just, I'm not, I'm not as up for this movie as as a lot of other people are right and it, and it's the issue with dc that they're so disconnected there is no continuity so you're looking at this okay on standing alone why should i invest myself in this story and you know off off a few trailers it's kind of hard to do like, that but but yeah you raise a good point you know you're looking at you know and i know we're talking heroes with the decathlon next week but when you're talking heroes you know there's two that are as iconic as they get batman and superman and both those characters are plagued in the movies by the same issue that you do have two very different characters between secret identity and superhero and Superman's had the same problem that Christopher Reeves portrayal of Clark Kent and Superman was so transcendent that everybody else has suffered by that, including Henry Cavill, Brandon Routh, who I thought did great as close as you could get to Reeve in that just a shitty uh, story. But, um, yeah, it, it's it's tough because, like you, I'm going to go see it, and I'm not going to make any judgments about it based just on a, a couple of trailers because I, I I genuinely want to see what story are they telling and, and and does this tie into anything, which probably doesn't, but that's okay. But yeah, I think, like you're saying, the Christian Bale performance is on that Christopher Reeve-ish level where it just, you know, it just, it spreads like a, like a virus, you know, not to invoke virology in here but it just spreads out from that point and contaminates everything and you so you look at it from a very specific lens and looking at it right now it's like yeah i don't know 
you know, and that's the best thing to say. It's like, I don't know. I'm going to go see it, but I don't know about it. Yeah, I was like, and yet come March, I'm sure that at least two of the three of us will see it in a movie theater. I, I, Tony, I'm not sure about your ankle makes you, you're planning on going as well. So I, I sit there and say, oh, I'm not sure about this. And yet at the same time, they're, they're at least going to get my money once, which is the same number of times so far that Spider-Man has gotten my money. I just couldn't get out to see another go around. So, and now that I'm feeling a little under the weather, don't think it's a good idea. I was going to go and see it last week, and then I bowed out so my uh, wife's grandkids could go in my stead. So, Oh, what a guy. God. All right. Look at you. Well, let's leave the trailer park now and talk about a show that debuted on Disney Plus this week, The Book of Boba Fett. All three of us have watched the first episode. Tony liked it enough to comment in our chat that he liked it. And that's usually, you know, that's usually a big stamp of approval. I have to tell a funny story before we get into our reactions, though. I got a text from a buddy of mine who is a big Star Wars fan, and I don't have my phone on me right now. He hated the episode. Hated it. Thought the story was stupid. Thought the special effects were weak. Thought, I he, what did he, I can't remember how he described it. But he described it as some other mob show in space. And I'll go ahead and let I'm gonna give my my just my one word review first so that you all can make fun of it. Uh, episode one was fine. But to follow up on that, the reason I the the Boba Fett, I've said this before, Boba Fett is such a not compelling character to me. Boba Fett is not a character I felt I needed to pursue. Boba, like the thing that I, the thing that made Boba Fett cool was the mystery surrounding Boba Fett. And I feel like every time we do more to take the mystery away from this character, the less interesting he becomes. And I'm sorry, the cool dude with the gun that is a bounty hunter blasting people around playing underworld political games is I mean it's okay it's fine, like you sat down in the chair and everybody's trying to push him around because he's not a he's not job of the hut, and, and we're gonna see him I'm sure take control, but uh, I I don't know it was okay, it was kind of paint by numbers like in terms of story to me it was kind of paint by numbers, I will say the flashbacks from him crawling out of the sarlacc. And then being captured by Tusken Raiders, and that that story was a little bit more interesting. But the whole like Moss Eisley or Moss whatever underground or underworld thing that he's taking control, I was like, Bleh. the mayor's uh, representative was funny though. I see. I don't understand. To me, it was just more of the Mandalorian. It's the same storytelling. It's the same kind of vibe to me. It's just more in depth coverage of just what's left to tell in the story of star Wars, right? Like there's so many holes to fill in between just what's out there. They don't even need to go on. And that's, what's great about the streaming. We've talked about that. So I don't know, as a fan of star Wars, I don't understand why you wouldn't just be happy to learn more about the story, regardless of there's parts, whether you enjoy it or not, they're not going to tell everything exactly the way Patrick O'Dowd wants it to be told. Well, the problem is Patrick O'Dowd didn't want it to be told. So there you I didn't go. want a story to be told. I <laughs> Thank wanted, you. I wanted that's to... what I, all I wanted you to say. And that's why you're, you didn't, you have your problems with it. I just don't think he's a compelling. I, I think he's a more compelling character. I think he's a more compelling character. And I have always felt he was overrated. I think he was a more compelling character when you didn't know anything about him. And he was just this mysterious kind of badass. 
And the more and more you develop this character with an idea, I mean, now we're starting to go into this. He's a, he's a badass with a heart of gold shit. Like we're not going to do things through (laughs) violence. Like we've seen that character before and it makes him, in my opinion, it makes him less interesting. Dave, talk me, talk me down. Well, I think, I, I, well, I understand the, the concept that Boba Fett was, you know, you think he's overrated, but you also recognize that there is a lot of people out there who he's got massive popularity with a big segment of the Star Wars universe who really want to see more about him. And this show is kind of all about that. Um, I, I did. I, I I thought it was smart on their part to do the flashback to the Sarlacc pit to explain how did he get out of there, you know, and and the fact that he basically blasts his way out with the, you know, using some oxygen from a dead stormtrooper and then using the flamethrower to get out and crawl out okay and then i did like uh, like the one scene where the jawas come and get him and you get to see, the jawas don't get much respect but in this one scene they got my respect because he grabs on their leg and they're just like bitch and slams a you know gun in their face and knocks him out um the stuff with the tuscan raiders was and, and you do get to see like him earn, and i think that's going to be important moving forward is he Obviously gets adopted by the Tuscans who don't like anybody other than their own kind. And that's pretty well established in Star Wars lore. But they accept him as one of their own because, you know, he helped. He defeated the reincarnated Scorpion King. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, sorry, I got I got strong Scorpion King vibes. Absolutely. <laughs> or the Manus from up, The Witcher. You know? backs up, yeah, backs uh, up my uh, argument for The Rock. Yeah, it's uh, you know, I and I thought I thought when they when they unearthed it, I thought, oh, crate dragon, you know, that was my first thing. So it surprised me to see this different creature, and then they behead it, and and I thought it was interesting that they harkened back to the way Leia killed Jabba by having him kill this thing the exact same way. Uh, but yeah, I, I think maybe that's where they're going as far as like the current iteration of of Boba Fett who. Because, yeah, this is the same guy who ruthlessly hunted down Han Solo, took him in carbonite back to Jabba. He didn't have a heart of gold back then. So what what no good to be dead. That's right. So what how did he change? How did he go from that to what we see now, which is helping Mando rescue the child? And and I, I will say this about this show. To me, this feels like we are bridging the gap between Mandalorian season two and three with this show, because it's coming out at the exact point in time when mandalorian would come out which is december um so i i feel like they are using this to bridge that gap and tell a story and maybe hopefully they set up mandalorian season three with something that happens here but yeah it's cool that you know there's going to be this big and it's interesting about him is he needs to be in this back to tank quite a bit so there's been some significant damage done to him because he's constantly having to heal himself i mean a little battle that he gets into here he tells the uh, the Gamorians, hey, take me to the back to tank, and they get him in there. So he's clearly not very healthy, and there's something going on with him in that respect. But I love the episode. I thought it I thought it was really cool, the flashbacks and the things, and, and, and I'm curious to see, okay, how are they going to flesh out his character and get us to the point where he goes from, yeah, he's no good to be dead to I'm helping Tuscan kids out? That's going to be an interesting uh, transition. Yeah, um... I'm also just I like Tamura Morrison as an actor, and I love Ming Na Wen as an actor. It's it's wrong. I'm much more interested in Finnick Shand than I am Boba Fett. I like how he introduced this is Master Assassin. <laughs> it's like Master Assassin Finnick Shand. You know, it's like kind of throw that out there for him. Just so you know, she's a Master Assassin. 
couple of the other casting decisions that are going to to pay dividends for me though Matt Barry um is going to is going to pay dividends for me because I I love him and what we do in the shadows um if you've not heard me talk about the show you need to as he plays Laszlo Cravensworth uh also known as Jackie Daytona um regular bartender in Wisconsin uh, I do believe it's in Wisconsin. So you need to, Tony, I swear to you, if you have FX streaming, you need to watch that show, but um, maybe on HBO max as well. So just saying, I'll, I'll look it up for you. Um, Thanks. Yeah. Maybe a bridge show. Maybe that I, I, there's seven episodes. Maybe, maybe I, I will, I don't know. Maybe I'll come around. It, mm-hmm. Like I didn't I, again, I didn't think it was particularly bad. I just didn't think it was particularly great. You guys think we get like a Mandalorian sighting at any point in this series? Uh, why not? In the that's the end of the first season, and then it carries right into the next episode. Like you get the look first at, ten, look at ten Dave, seconds. emphatic nod, the emphatic <laughs> nod. He is all yeah, about it. Dave's why doing not? this. Right Dave, now. Let's Sorry. I, I, sorry. I can wait it out. I can wait it out. I know I know exactly how long it is. Um I that's what she said. Uh you know what, Dave? Listen, why should we let Patrick, you know, let, let us not fantasy book like right? Like that's what I'd love to do for wrestling is just, hey, here's what I'd love to see. So this is what Dave and I would love well, to see. Patrick, you're a Star Wars fan. If you don't like it, think you know about it. I don't know, be, be all, the upset Star I Wars fan. Let me let me interject this. We just fantasy booked Hawkeye and it came true. You know, it's like, oh, they're gonna do yeah, this, they're gonna bring in Yelena, they're gonna bring in Kingpin, and boom, there you go. So anything is possible. You never know. Uh, I, will, I will say I, I can't I can't see a scenario where you don't include some Mandalorian connection in the show like i can't i think that that i do agree this show is connective tissue i i do agree that it's part of this this greater star wars universe that they they've been building working i'm also can i just be blunt i'm also kind of tired of tatooine for a place that's out and not in the middle of the star wars universe they go there an awful fucking lot mm-hmm. like an awful lot like <laughs> It's like 1955 is a central nexus of the space-time continuum. It's like Tatooine is the most important planet in the galaxy, and R2-D2 is yeah, the most powerful like, character. I'm okay with it's, that. I have a Tatooine t-shirt. so It's go visit scenic Tatooine because everybody goes to Tatooine, like, or Tatooine or however the hell you pronounce it. I, it's, just, it's funny to me that the first time we're introduced to – this system by Luke Skywalker in A New Hope. It's, you know, if there's a bright center to the galaxy, you're in this, you know, you're on the planet that's the farthest from. Like, it's supposed to be this out-of-the-way place where nothing ever happens, and yet, like, everything happens there, uh, including now, apparently, Boba Fett's rise. This is, you know, this is a nice little uh, street-level character story in Star Wars. I just brought it to the MCU. See, uh, see what I did there? Well done. I'm I'm proud of me. All right. Enough, enough of this. I'm sure we'll have more thoughts about the book of Boba Fett as we go along. Uh, And of course you will be able to catch Dave and I's thoughts episode by episode as we do book of Boba Fett for the nerd review this year, this year, this, uh, the next seven weeks. Um, And Dave, I want to talk to you about possibly seeing if we can finagle. uh, we'll, We'll have to talk about it offline. But uh, 
trying to get these reviews out in front of the ensuing episode. So no, we're not, you know, a step behind like we were with Hawkeye. Yes. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to talk to, I have to talk to the DeMarco on that one. I'm, you know, he rules with an iron fist. Yeah, that's true. He does. He'll, 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 <laughs> he'll find a way to split like, it out well, over three different installments. It's like, it's one episode. Nah, <laughs> just ask me and I'll do it. And then just, he'll ask me and I'm like, I did it. And then, then he'll yell at you guys and not me, but I did it. So there you go. Thanks. Fair enough. All right. Well, yeah. we're well, at, least, at least you didn't have to ask first. And then you just get yelled at later. Guys, sure. guys, guys, forgiveness, not permission. Forgiveness. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to head into our second commercial break. Before we go into our recorded commercials, it is my duty to remind you that if you love what we do here at the ChairShot Radio Network and thechairshot.com, that the best way to support us and to keep us going is to head over to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot and invest in a chair shot radio t-shirt we have all, all kinds of different designs for you to choose from including a shirt for this very program that's right there is a bandwagon nerd shirt out there and you could own it and be one of the four people that represents our program to the masses those shirts come at a low low cost of 19.99 but if you feel like you want to spend a little extra get something that feels nice on your giblets spend a few extra dollars get it soft style you'll thank us later we can't keep putting out quality content without the support of each and every one of you. And the best way to keep that going is to head over to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot and invest in a, in a chair shot radio shirt. When we come back, we are going to bring up week four of the DC Marvel Decathlon. You are listening to Bandwagon Nerds on the Chair Shot Radio Network, a part of the chairshot.com. This is your boy, Kenny Killer, telling you to make sure you check out thechairshot.com, bringing you breaking news, interviews, podcasts galore, everything pro wrestling. Make sure you check it out, thechairshot.com. into the home stretch of the DC Marvel Decathlon. After a dominant week from Marvel in the world of film and inclusion, our current tally stands at 18 points for Marvel, 12 points for DC. The fans agreed with us. No one person in the fan poll for film voted for DC movies over Marvel movies. And to that brave soul, whoever you may have been, Kudos to you. Wasn't me. Wasn't him. He was accused. You were accused, sir, of of casting the one vote. But I just, yeah, I, I know. I just, I just, I just pled. I put in my plea. I mean, based on your, based on your uh, vote guilty. last week, like you voted for Marvel. So, I, yeah, they were uh, the polls last week. Got the polls last week got good turnout. I mean, the uh, inclusion one was close. The other one, the one was interesting because Marvel, Marvel kind of staked itself out to a big lead, and then DC closed the gap. And 
I, like I talked about last week on the show, like it's such a tough topic for comics in general because it comic books, in my opinion, have ever been every bit of a reflection of where society is at the time. And if you look at particularly World War II, uh, which, you know, the portrayal of women, like for God's sakes, Wonder Woman was the secretary of the Justice Society or Justice League. It was Justice Society. I can't remember which one it was. Justice League. She was the secretary of the Justice League before she was actual full fledged member. Like she took the minutes for their meetings. Like <laughs> go to the kitchen and wear your apron. Uh, but this week we got two. We got two good categories. I did get the votes from our good friends Christopher Platt and Ray Cash so that we can keep the integrity of the voting in place. We're going to cover television and streaming shows and then teams. And I'll be very interested to see how how these votes go out. Uh, we're going to do television and streaming first, uh, and I'm going to kick off. Uh, it's going to be me, Dave, and Tunny. We'll, we'll be the go around there, and then we'll reverse it for teams and go Tunny, Dave, myself to wrap up the events this week. Um, Platt voted for Marvel in the television and streaming category, and Ray voted DC. I, myself, am also going to vote for DC as the television show I know, right? Dave is stunned. And here's why. If the Marvel streaming series had existed in perpetuity for the last eight to ten years and were and were what they what they are now, this vote would be a lot closer for me. And Tony, you're gonna love this. I can't deny the power of the CW DC series. Like you just can't. And I, I mean, because of Tony and his love of the Flash, that's why we watched it. And even prior to, even prior to the CW series, if you look just sort of historically, like the Dave, you talked about the campy Batman movie. Well, that was based out of the campy serialized television show with Adam West and Burt Ward playing Batman and Robin and you know Eartha Kitt was was Catwoman and um so was Julie Newmar and uh, oh gosh but like was it Sid Caesar or Caesar Romero? Caesar Romero. Romero. Yeah Lee Mer- Caesar- Lee Merriweather was the Catwoman in the uh, movie. Right. Uh, and she was also fine in her own right. Uh, Burgess Meredith as the penguin uh just some some great iconic iconic actors the the things that Marvel did have going for it in terms of series, though, campy though it was, I loved the old Incredible Hulk uh, show with Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno, even though we had to change Bruce's name to David because we didn't want Bruce. Bruce is a gay name. We couldn't have a gay name. What the, what the fuck ever. Um, Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. just never gained traction. Like, it went for five seasons. But nobody really noticed that it was there or gone. Um, it's other, you know, Marvel's other attempts at mainstream television didn't really go over so well. You know, uh, Agent Carter did not last. Uh, the Mockingbird spinoff series that was supposed to happen from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. got canceled because of the lack of success of the other two properties. Um, and while the Netflix shows, I think, are really, really good, they don't have the same traction or notoriety or popularity. I think the Daredevil series is getting a new life thanks to Spider-Man and Netflix capitalizing on that because if you have that in your queue, I'm willing to bet you ever since Spider-Man came out, 
that one of the series that that is on the top of your homepage is the Daredevil series and it's three seasons, which are really, really good stuff and a vast different, you know, world from the MCU. But on the other side of things, you've got the CW series. We, we talked about to, to no end um, Doom Patrol. That's a DC property. We're excited about Pe- Peacemaker. That's a DC property. Uh, if we were to have Ray Cash on this show and probably why he voted for DC, uh, Titans is a DC property. Uh, you could even argue the animated series, even though, you know, DC won the animated point, like they've been on television and, and just have had a stronger presence. And so for me, DC gets the point. Dave. So <clears throat> these final four categories, I think, are the toughest of all of them. Like we got the we got the softball, the the, the low hanging fruit out of the way and now you're down to the final four categories which i like how you organize it pat that you got the toughest ones and this honestly is probably the toughest of all of them for me and and if if we hadn't outlawed doing a tie i would have called a tie here between these two um but as it stands and this is yes definitely recency bias but i'm going marvel on this and and i know tony's upset about it here's the thing is um this, and I look at it this way. The reason why, and well, let me let me go back. I love Patrick's historical analysis of this and going back to the George Reeves Superman series, which was excellent, you know, back in the day. Batman, we didn't even mention the Wonder Woman series with Linda Carter, which was iconic to say the least. And really all Marvel had was the Incredible Hulk series to match that, which one of my favorite shows of all time. Um, here's the thing is, as great as the CW verse is, I probably haven't watched enough of it to really say, yeah, that's fair. But what I appreciate about the CW verse is its connectivity. And this is the only place where DC has a connected shared crossover universe. If they had tied that into anything going on in the movies, other than a, a, a brief one-off appearance from uh, the CW's flash in, in the, in a weird dream sequence in BBS, yeah, Grant Gustin. I would I would be more inclined to give DC the point here, but they're so disconnected from you know you've got the CW verse which is self contained and fantastic, and that's the only continuity you have in DC right now. You do have Doom Patrol which is fantastic. Titans I've heard nothing but great stuff about. I, I look at Marvel from the standpoint of I always liked Agents of Shield. I thought it was a good show, not great, but it had its moments. The Netflix series are, are really good with the possible exception of Iron Fist is not as good as the other ones. But I look at this past year and what Marvel has accomplished with the MCU and the streaming shows. And yeah, I know Tony's rolling his eyes and it is recency bias, but I look at the shows that have come out. WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier, Loki, What If to a lesser extent, now Hawkeye, and how it's all connected and and to, and to and now you kind of make the argument that the Netflix stuff is interconnected now as they've kind of been brought in and i think that what they've done this last year as this as the CW verse has kind of scaled back a little bit you know we're in the last season of what supergirl's ending right tony i believe that that this is the last se- season for that um not talking to you right now <laughs> i i look at i just look at how the MCU is such a, a, you know, because you've got a connective tissue running between the movies and the streaming that DC doesn't have, it draws me in more. And I have more of a connection to what's going on with the Marvel shows than I do with the DC shows. 
But like I said, if it wasn't a cop-out, I would take a tie on this thing. But I know we said no ties. You have to pick one. I'm going to go Marvel on this one. Tony, you can tell me why I'm wrong. Please, go ahead. I'm obviously going DC. Congratulations to Marvel. And and I've enjoyed and and touted everything they've done lately on streaming, right? But, like, let's go backwards. And, it. I mean, do we not... (laughs) Do we not remember Batman on television? You know, do we not remember the original? Uh, you know, <laughs> I just I just gave Bruce him Wayne. its props, Tuddy. Yeah, I know. Okay, so that we go there, and then you failed to mention um, the adventures of uh, uh, Superman and Lois. Is it whatever the Dean Cain television Lois series? Clark. Lois, Lois, yeah, Lois and Clark. Lois Clark. I was getting Small. to Smallville next. Right. So now we got all of that where there was no Marvel, nothing basically really during those time periods for the most part. That was challenging those for top priority. And then Doom Patrol, which is holding its own against the streaming that's happening now. But then you add in CW, right? The Arrowverse. You have Arrow. You have Flash. You have Supergirl. You have uh, uh, Legends. Legends of Tomorrow. I mean, there. If you turn on CW when they're playing primetime television during the fall and winter and and early spring, you get an hour of DC comic television one night a week, Monday through Thursday. And it's all connected, like you said. Like, it it rivals, like, and it's been going on. If If you literally jump into it and buy into it, it almost rivals the MCU. Like, I'm not saying it does. I'm just saying, like... The way Marvel has totally dominated the big screen, CW and DC have totally dominated the small screen. So when you add in the history and then the fact that Doom Patrol throws something out there for streaming that's, in my opinion, as good as what Disney's knocked it out of the park, right? With Marvel and the streaming, we we agree. So I know there's other things out there tertiary to what I'm talking about, but that's where my argument lies. I will say, I think Marvel's production value, the MCU shows look better than the CW shows that I will, I adamantly believe that. I mean, that's a, that's a budget quibble. I I don't know that like that. I get, I get what you're saying. I don't know that that's entirely fair. However, you can argue, you can argue then though, that at that scale, DC television shows, you can relate more to an actual comic book while you're watching it. And my thing is, is they they did manage to make a world full of gorillas exist in season three of The Flash. And oh, just wait, Patrick, you're gonna enjoy the rest of this. You got a lot it's, of seasons. It's, just what, it's funny. We yeah, uh, we we stalled out a little bit um, as the little O'Dowd is so enamored with The Simpsons. He's now watching every episode in order. We've oh, talked this. Even better. That's awesome. Uh, he's on season six, the Tree Treehouse of Horror um, shinning episode, and. Oh, he started watching The Simpsons like less than a month ago, and he's already up to season six. Now he knows there's he's like anytime there's an opportunity to watch television, he can dominate. He's like Simpsons. He's like Dad, there's like thirty seasons, and I'm like I get you. Uh, and so he's he's plowing through it like a trooper. What that does mean though is that ultimately DC wins this competition by a score of three to two over Marvel in the television and streaming realm. And Tony, you get to kick off teams. Now I was intentionally vague with teams and here's why, because there's hero teams, 
there's villain teams. Got to look at the whole picture. And Tony, I turn it to you to cast your vote. I'm, I'm going to go DC just because we're getting crushed over here on this side of the wall. <laughs> and you could easily argue that this could be equal. So why not be able to give it to which side you like better? Um, I already just mentioned Legends of Tomorrow, which is a really good series on CW. That is very much a team. There is Team Flash. There is Team Arrow. There is the ultimate team that everybody thinks of. When you think of a team, it's more than one person, and two people starts the upward uh, growing of a team. And Batman and Robin has been a team that has been known for a long, long time, so you can just give it to DC on that alone. But throw out their Doom Patrol, uh, Birds of Prey, uh, the Justice League, uh things of that nature um i mean uh what what oh suicide squad you know so dc can hold its own here i'm gonna let you guys you know wax poetic about marvel and their teams i know there is a plenty i i think it's actually equal here but i'm gonna cast my vote to dc just because that's where my feet lie and i do think ty goes to the preference in a lot of these for for us as fans so I, i hear you on that Dave. I'll, I'll I'll say the Swayer is Batman and Robin for me, the ultimate duo that you think of when you think of more than one person as a superhero team. <laughs> uh, who who where, did, uh, where did Ray and Chris come down on this one, Pat? Oh, they both they both landed on the uh, Marvel camp. Yeah, I and, and I am going to land on the Marvel camp as well. Um, and and I think really yeah. I legitimately. St- Stunned by that. Oh no, no. This one this one's like, not as close I was as the last one. Like, really? This one's not as close as the last but, one. And I'll tell you why. I mean, once you remove the Justice League and Avengers out of the equation, which is a draw, in my opinion, and I know that's not a popular opinion amongst a lot of modern fans out there, but in to me, the Justice League is every bit as powerful and probably more so than the Avengers. If I'm just, if it's not so much the movies, I, mean, I, would, I would take it a step farther. Like in the world of the comics, the justice right. league is the most powerful comic book entity in and, comics. And I'm not, and I'm looking it, at it from more of a, a comic standpoint, but once you get, let's, let's say they cancel each other out. Best case scenario. Then you start looking and digging a little bit deeper. DC does have doom patrol. Tony brings up a good point. Batman and Robin is a team. When I look at super teams and I'm thinking, okay, you've got Doom Patrol, they're one. You've got the Justice Society, there's another one. Okay, uh, you just you, you could just say Avengers and have the conversation over with. No, if no, you because want that's that's too that's a, know, that's a cop I, but out. It, but that's a, yeah, but that's that's Ruthian. That's Ruthian. Well, no, here's you want to here's the thing: to something other nerd wise than rotisserie baseball. That's Ruthian. Once I remove. Avengers and Justice League from the equation. You're talking about matching up a team like Doom Patrol, Birds of Prey, Justice Society against the X-Men, against the what Fantastic the Four, done, against the, the Defenders. Done. What the MCU has just done for the uh, with the Avengers and just basically pole vaulted Marvel heads and tails ahead of DC for a long time is Ruthian in and of itself. And and the people that played that in the movies, that's that's a team, right? And that that Tony Stark led team of Avengers in the MCU, number one all time team, no doubt. Twenty seven Yankees, whatever you or whatever year you want to call it, thirty five, you know, Ruthian. I mean, I'm really looking at it more from the standpoint of there is arguably, you know, Avengers and Justice League are one two. X Men has got to be the third greatest team up of all time. I would say I, I don't know of anybody who can really match that. And the Fantastic Four are the godfathers 
of comics, basically. You, you know, you, you do have the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. You've got teams, you know, team ups like that on the on the Marvel side. But yeah, I just I start looking around the Marvel side of the Defenders are, are one of my favorite groupings as well. Uh, DC doesn't have anything below the Justice League that can stand toe to toe with the X-Men and Fantastic Four. I, I just don't see it. And and if I if I'm looking at it that way from the comic standpoint, and the X Men are just like head and shoulders so high up there on the list of being really barely a notch below Avengers and, and Justice League, and even you could put them on the same level as Avengers in, in the comics. I I gotta go Marvel on this one as far as teams are concerned. Okay, so I'm I'm sorry, Tony. I'm gonna go Marvel too, but mine's more of it's kind of a push in my mind and more Don't of apologize. a. Don't apologize. I put a lot of stock in, in you know, uh, uh, like a Team Flash and an and Arrow kind of team, and then um, Legends of Tomorrow, and then Batman and Robin, really, you know, right. with Doom Patrol. So, so. Shout, it's, out to, it's a shout out to Alpha Flight, Pat. Oh, gosh. But, and this is the thing that I think is really interesting about the Marvel comic book universe is that there are probably too many teams. Uh, <laughs> If we're really like everybody's a damn team, uh, but it's also how comics work, right? Like there's there's no longer, and this is this is again going to fall to a level of familiarity I have with with Marvel over DC. But you know, a couple of teams that you didn't mention there, Dave. You didn't mention the Teen Titans. Um, you didn't mention um, oh god, the Shazam family, because eventually the the Batson family is is its own team of superheroes. Um, there, there are so, like, there, there are some other teams there and on the bad side. You got the Legion of Doom, um, and you can't discount that team of supervillains. The thing is, is that Marvel's just got to me. X Men really does pull it and uh, pull it over to to the Marvel side for me because it's like you mentioned. It's not just that the X Men are a team, but the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants is is a legitimate team all of its own the hellfire club is a team all of its own then you've got the dark avengers um that it, that existed for a period of time you have the shitty west coast avengers the great lake avengers um you've got the eternals you've got the uh humans it's it kind of goes on and on you've got at the street level you've got heroes for hire You've got um, X Force, X uh, yeah X Force. Um, so to me, it's it's almost a victory by numbers, more so than. But then again, I guess the other question that I often have is how many of those teams? You know, and you mentioned the Fantastic Four. How many of those do we actually read and follow and keep up with? At the end of the day, and. What sort of following do a lot of those teams have? How many of them lasted, you know, have truly lasted? Even the Fantastic Four have been canceled at least three times um, in comics. So that tells you a little bit about it. And it's because they're so milquetoast and boring um, that it's kind of hard to, to get them excited. I do like your uh, your mentioning of the Defenders. Um, you know, and then if you, you want to get out there, there's the Star Jammers. There's, um, uh, gosh, the Shi'ar Empire. There's the Cree, there's the Scrolls. Those are races, I guess, less so than teams. But hey, there um, is Alpha Flight. They they are Canada's greatest superhero team. There is the Canadian X Men. Uh, 
at the end of the day. And it just, it's, but I do think it, it's closer than, than, than that because, because as I'm stumbling over words here, Marvel has a sheer volume of teams. DC, I do think has, I, I do think that they they have some compelling teams, I, you know, and I think that, you know, one of the biggest ones that, that we mentioned is Teen Titans. Um, yeah. And they've really like people have really gone nuts for it. And Doom Patrol has found a new life. That's an interesting comic in its life because it's stopped and started a lot of different times. And I do think that the strength of the show has kind of brought it back. Um, uh, and I'll be interested to see what happens next week when we get into Heroes and Villains, which is you know our, our final two. Um, but yeah, that uh, that does. I, I'd still cast my vote for Marvel, uh, and that brings the total to four to one. So Marvel is going to take six points today. DC is going to take four. So DC is going to go up to 16. Marvel with its six on top of 18 is going to hit 24. Marvel is two points away from winning the decathlon come next week. But the issue is still in doubt um, for next week and our final round of the DC Marvel decathlon. So technically, if there are two clean sweeps, DC can get the win. Marvel needs two points to, to prevent that from happening. Tony is pitch posh. I'll be interested to see how the fan votes go on this one too, particularly with teams. Oh yeah, uh, me too. Well, I think Sorry. I think the problem with next week is Christopher Platt will automatically vote for Marvel. So this is, you know, no matter He's, what happens... <laughs> He and Tony's votes, you know, kind of wash each other out. Oh, uh, well, isn't that special? Isn't that special? Uh, okay. Anyway, yeah, be sure to tune in to our climactic final round of the DC Marvel Decathlon, where we are going to talk about villains and heroes, rogues galleries. It's going to be a lot of fun. I, I have a feeling that Mar or DC might tighten things up before... Marvel ultimately pulls away. That's my own bias speaking. We'll just have to wait and see. All right, gentlemen, one last topic I wanted to, to get into before we got to Patrick's pitch, and I'm actually going to be the one doing the pitch this week because um, I, I, have, I have something I'm a little passionate about. But 2021, on its way out, to the, do out the door, did claim uh, America's grandmother uh, as news dropped on New Year's Eve that Betty White, at 99 years young, passed away and here's what i i guess before we go like you know she's very very famous for her you know her role in the golden girl golden girls for a lot of the generation that knew her uh i always loved her in the movie like placid where she's the old lady who wants the crocodile to kill everybody and is actually feeding it and encouraging it to survive best role ever seen that in the movie theater a lot of people don't know oliver platt was in that movie as well yes he was um and bill pullman is, is in that, i do recall lone star himself oh. um but i i've always been fascinated as to how the public kind of just adopted betty white out of nowhere one day and she just became america's grandmother like suddenly everybody loved betty white and and, and as she continued to show longevity and you know, part of it is her her personality and what she brought to her roles and her characters. Like she was she was always a lovable, fun character. I don't know that there's any sort of quote unquote bad guy or evil role that she ever took. Like she was always a you know a comedic actress. 
Uh, she had a variety show as far back as the 50s. I believe she was in, was she in the Mary Tyler Moore show? Yes. Uh, and I was trying to remember what her show was for like, where was she or what her role she played in the, like the 60s or 70s. She's just, um, yeah. And, but just like one day we all woke up collectively a few years back. We're like, we love Betty White and hope she never dies. And uh, we lost her. And many people are, are, are quite, quite sad about that. Um, but thoughts on the passing of Betty White at the tender age of 99. Dave, you can go first. When uh, we're sitting around when the news came in, and I remember I told my wife, I was like, they do this every year. They say she's died every every year. Uh, so I thought at first, okay, it's just the same old shit, and, and, and it's false because, you know, Aren't we just celebrating her hundredth birthday? And, and then, you know, you started to get it from various outlets that it was true. I, you know, it's, it's, of course, it's very sad because she was, like you said, Patrick, she kind of came out of nowhere as far as like, you know, how did it, how did we all adopt her, uh, you know, as, as America's grandmother. But I don't, I think, I think her role in, in golden girls was so beloved and, and everybody just gravitated. Who what was she rose in that movie or show? And everybody has loved her as a character. And uh, I, it, it's, it's fascinating to me, but yeah, she just kind of, she just kind of became the, the symbol of Americana as far as this is what I, I want my grandmother to be like this, you know, cause she's 99 and still with it and still very quippy and, and, you know, never saw real deterioration in mental faculties or anything like that. She was still just right there, right to the end. And, I think it just a lot of people just gravitated towards that and said, yeah, this, this is awesome. This is, this is who I want my grandmother to be. And so, uh, she was just, yeah, very beloved, uh, fun character. All of her roles were, were very good and, uh, she'll be missed. So it sucks, but yeah, 2021 just had to get one more middle finger at us right before it, uh, exited. PC Tony thoughts on Betty White's man. She was amazing. Um, I remember I, I, when I was very young, I, I kind of grew up with my grandparents around a lot, and uh, I, I always watched the show, and then would watch it later on in life whenever it's on, and I could I could sing the theme song for you to um, Golden Girls right now if you'd like. Uh, but she was she was a comedic genius. She like comedy wise, like her timing, like she brought that to the small screen. She was she was wonderful. So in true fashion, I was actually at work and. Where I work, we all have headsets or, or, or walkies that we connect to each other and earpieces that we hear through. And, and someone had said that Betty White had passed and I was back in the office. And and very quickly, I over the walkie, and I think Betty would appreciate this. And I, I said, you know, in true PC Tunny fashion, um, not as PC Tunny, as, as, as shoot PC Tunny, um, said, uh, but, you know, kind of fell into what we do, said, about time oh, oh. <laughs> so dave laughed and patrick kind of went silent with a with a gasping reaction oh. and 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 the reaction uh, over over the headsets and the, and the ear pieces was nothing for a good oh. 9 10 11 12 seconds and i went back over and i go i was just kidding guys <laughs> and then that was it <laughs> right i think she would have laughed I think she would have laughed at what I said, and I think she would have laughed harder that I felt bad after it was crickets. I think she would have right. loved the comedy of it. But Betty White, what a fucking legend. Yeah, you were Daffy Duck on the stage there for a second. <laughs> so, and that's the thing is it's it's hard to, like, it's sad, 
because you know she was a you know she was a great actress she was like dave and you just said tony a piece of americana she was one of the great comedians um and kind of unsung for a really long time like low-key one of the great comedians um but to to have her on this planet for 99 years almost 100 she you know nearly made it a century was uh i mean what a life and you just have to you have to respect that so we're gonna raise our i'm gonna raise my glass of water tony's got his beer um dave never brings a drink to the podcast so here is to you happy trails betty my podcast so now here's here's my new question uh who takes on the mantle as as america's grandparent my vote is morgan freeman uh, no, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's got to be someone. I think you got to start young because she was she was she was quite young with the Golden Girls. That was that was like forty years ago. Maybe Sally Field. Yeah, I like that. Maybe yeah, Sally like Field. Uh, uh, what about Michelle Obama? I mean, she could. She's still kind of America's mom at this point. By the way, her. Did you see the oh, photo? But of her at at some year? point, she's going to be a grandma, and she'll oh, be yeah, she'll be the coolest, hippest grandma, and that's great, right? Isn't that the kind of thing now? Is to be the cool, hip grandma. The 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 the, the age of right. passing, right. transitioning, right. as Platt would say, is going further and further. So you become younger and younger percentage wise when you become a grandparent when's marissa right, tomei Dave? become a grandmother there you go Platt will, oh, Platt will nominate uh, her now we're in now talk about nilf garden we're talking about the gilf garden now. <laughs> oh boy um i i did want to say one last thing i did uh, i and it wasn't hard to predict that this was going to happen but you know kudos to nbc for playing the uh betty white saturday night live episode this past uh saturday for saturday night live you kind of saw that coming um but it, it worked out well John Madden, Betty, John. Betty White. I mean, yeah. those are legends. Who's the next one? It's threes. Who is it? Sam Somebody Jones. Called Sam kid. Jones from the Celtics died. Somebody called Dick Van Dyke. Sorry, that's, Boston that's my... fans. Um, yeah. All right. Let's get into Patrick's Is mayonnaise pitch. an instrument? What a go jellyfishing? What am I supposed to do all day while you're at school? Can I use your bathroom? Who's your friend? What does claustrophobic mean? <laughs> you know what the problem is? One of these days, I swear to you, I will put together a Patrick's pitch soundbite so that we don't keep Patrick O'Dowd as a question. I have some ideas. I want to rip some like lines off of like Mad Men and some other like shows with like pitch stuff as part of it. Hell, even... Uh, Funny story, even the Santa Claus has a pitch meeting in there uh, at one point where there's a dude pitching the total tank. Uh, and, and so I want to I want to cobble some clips together and, and play with that. I just haven't gotten to it yet. But this pitch is actually uh, more of a plea to fans uh, of the show and people who still do uh, subscribe and get brick and mortar or go to brick and mortar comic book stores. Uh, to pick up whether subscriptions or pull boxes or pull lists. And that is, uh, I've said this before, but support your local comic book store. If you know one that exists in your area, uh, go out of your way to to be an active participant in helping them succeed. Uh, the pandemic has hit a lot of these, these stores really, really hard. And one that hits close to home for me 
is a store called the Heroes Legacy Comics and Collectibles. It's a uh, it's the comic book store in Manchester, Connecticut that I used to go to uh, when I worked at UConn and briefly while I was working at UMass, where I went to pick up my my comics and my pull and my pull boxes. I would drive to Connecticut uh, once every couple of weeks uh, to pick up my issues and. The store has hit some really hard times and is on the, you know, is in danger of going out of business. And they've actually gotten a lot of good traction lately uh, through a GoFundMe campaign and some other podcasts and known uh, entities who have really put them out there and pushed them, uh, pushed their name out there to get support. Uh, But a lot of what's happened with this business has nothing to do with their business practices. A lot of it has to do with, problems with like penguin the publishing company not getting um issues out on time or shorting stores issues uh and just doing a lot of things that are that are hurting income of the store and these stores really rely on those comics coming out on time as well as the the second second market piece of it like the resale of old comics uh, and and having that merchandise there and available for people to purchase. And so this is just my personal pitch to anybody out there who still collects and doesn't go digital. Support your local comic book store. And if you don't, maybe you do go digital. Maybe just wander your way into an old comic book store and pick up a collectible or two. Find a way to support them. Keep those institutions going, especially ones that do right by the community. Because, And Dave, I, I know you can back me on this. They're, they're, they're a great little piece of, of Americana that's slowly dying, kind of like the drive-in theater. And, you know, anything we can do to, to help businesses like this continue, that's legit. Like, if a business is failing because it's, it's not there, it fails. This one isn't entirely, you know, the fault of a lot of these brick-and-mortar stores. Yeah, I, uh, I mean... I, the comic stores that you know, there's so many of them out there that that yeah, as we switch to this digital age, are just kind of dying on the vine, sort of thing. And and I agree with you. You know, I go and support your local comic stores because most of them don't just sell comics; they diversify. Some of them right. sell board games. Some of them are doing collectibles, um, a variety of things. Like there's this one that uh, in San Luis Obispo, which um, which we go to called Captain Nemo's, which is comics and board games and collectibles and like anything under the sun it's like this great emporium so they've got that stuff but yeah i i, I would agree with you that there's um some great businesses that are really struggling especially with the pandemic because people are just like i don't want to be around people i'm just going to do it digitally uh but yeah even if you're like me and and i i mean i'm all digital at this point i still frequent a lot of these comic stores and go in there and just kind of look around because you never know and uh and there is something to be said for the print stuff uh you know if you find certain collected editions and things like that. But uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. It, it's a lot of these stores are struggling and they need help. And so, yeah, if you're, if you're a big nerd out there, especially if you love comics, then yeah, go and maybe just get a couple, you know, a couple of the ones that you really like and helps keep these guys afloat. Cause they could certainly use the help of everybody out there. I think the most fun for me at a local comic book store is actually finding stuff that you can't, that's not in print anymore. Um, finding old issues, back issues. Um, I have the first 100 issues of Spawn because of local comic book stores. So um, support your local comic book store. Isn't that the big difference though between music and you know a lot of a lot of um, just kind of uh, 
regular books, not comic books, you can find, you know, music, you can find anything, right? You don't have to pay for anything music wise. If you just want to listen to it once or, or replay it as many times as you want, not download it, blah, 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 put it on something and take it with you. You can, you can do whatever. Actual books, I would imagine it's a lot easier to access some things than it is comic books, but that's just kind of the, the nature of the business. I, I know DP and myself, we've kind of gone back to vinyl a little bit. You know, you guys do uh, musical chairs, and, and that's a big thing people are doing as well, you know, is like taking the time to go out and, and look for these albums and, and loving the album covers. Love the art of it, the uh, not just the art of the music, but the actual art that's, that's on these albums and and the covers and what they actually went through back in the 60s and 70s and 80s to try to sell these albums. There was a big part of it. So that all kind of uh, comes together under the comic book compass, doesn't it? It does, absolutely. And local record stores are, are just another sort of hidden gem. Local, local bookstores, too. A lot yep. of them have a lot of collaboration of all that kind of stuff. Go to your local bookstores. You might find some comics there that you never thought you'd find either. Or vinyl. Absolutely. Vinyl and everything. One of the things I find great about uh, the town of Northampton, which is near the UMass Amherst campus where I work, is that they have a lot of locally owned bookstores and they have this place called Turn It Up that is of, it sells nothing but vinyl. And it's, well, not nothing but vinyl, like it's, but it's, it's music. It's uh, physical media music. They have new stuff. They sell old stuff. Um, they sell used, used stuff. And, um, it's just it's it's this fun little treasure trove. And you mentioned vinyl records, Sonny. I saw an interesting article that this year was like the biggest year for vinyl in two decades, three decades or something like that, because it's really made a huge resurgence as uh, as people have gotten into that media medium and that sound because uh, it's a different sound than what you hear on a digital platform. Like the pop and crackle of a record is unique. Um, and something you just don't you don't hear anymore. It is. It is. It's 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 a little bit more of a social thing as well. Like it's kind of cool to go to a gathering and not just like hear the speakers come on because someone hit their phone and they have speakers set up all over the room. But you see someone walk over and set it up and make it happen and you know the record's going on. And generally when people have those kind of things, they tell you about it anyway. So it's a conversation starter as well. Absolutely. Well, well said, everyone. Support your local businesses and support your local niche businesses. Help them stay afloat. All right, gentlemen, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds. Before we get out of here, let's do a quick once around and tell folks where they can find us on the social medias. This week, we will kick off with Mr. PC Tunney. Yes, sir. You can find me all over the social interwebs at PC Tunney on Twitter and Facebook especially. Please continue to listen to everything Chairshot Radio Network. And uh, always use your head. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. David Ongar. Yes, you can find me on Twitter at AttitudeAg. That is at AttitudeAgg. And on Facebook.com slash AttitudeOfAggression. And uh, yeah, of course, always... Check out at, bad, at Bandwagon Nerds on the Twitter. That's right, at Bandwagon Nerds. Of course, we've been doing polls so that the fans can vote on who wins in the Marvel DC decathlon. DC is currently down two votes. 
uh, this week. We'll see where things go with the fan polls dropping. First one will drop on Monday. You can follow me, Patrick O'Dowd, at Wrestling Realist on the Twitter. That is at W-R-E-S-T-L-N-G-R-E-A-L-I-S-T. Thank you, everyone, for listening. That is going to do it for this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds. Now, get yourself up out of the basement, get some sun, and make your way over to your local comic book store. You've been listening to Bandwagon Nerds here on the ChairShot Radio Network, a part of thechairshot.com. Deceive me once. <laughs> Do tell, Rose. <laughs> St. Olaf's most famous OBMAG. What's that? Obstetrician magician. <laughs> the amazing Shapiro. He delivered Bridget. <sighs> but it was so confusing. It's a girl. Now it's a dove. <laughs> Now it's a glass of milk. I don't know how he got her in that deck of cards. But there she was, right after the King of Hearts. Is this your baby? All our children were conceived on special St. Olaf holidays. Adam was conceived on the day of the Princess Pig when they had the pig crowning. And Janella was conceived on Hay Day. That's the day we St. Olafians celebrate hay. Rose, do you think you could wrap this up before Rebecca goes into labor? Then there was the day of the wheat when everybody came to town dressed as sandwiches. Charlie and I forgot to put cheese between us, and before I knew it, there was Kirsten. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.